What's going on, listeners? Hope you're all doing well and have been able to enjoy your summer amidst a pandemic. Before we get to the show, I'd like to make a few quick announcements to you listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review on your favorite podcast player. If you're new to the show, you can catch the latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and almost any other podcast player. The best way to view the show notes is using SoundCloud. You can actually click on the hyperlinks I add in the show notes if you use SoundCloud. My guest today is Mark Karhoff, and we are talking about the evolution of drug supply chain policy and the requirements for the 2013 Drug Supply Chain Security Act that outlines steps to build an electronic interoperable system to identify and trace certain prescription drugs as they are distributed in the United States. Mark is founder and CEO of 10 Count Consulting, which has helped numerous pharma companies and dispensaries adapt their operations to drug supply chain data management regulations. While COVID-19 may be presenting new challenges to the drug supply chain, these policy changes are happening quickly and the industry needs to build thoughtfully so we don't trap ourselves into another broken system. I really enjoyed my conversation with Mark and I hope you all do too. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Our guest today is Mark Karhoff, founder and CEO of 10 Count Consulting. Mark's previous experience includes logistics consulting at IBM and PwC. In recent years, though, his company has been focused on the life sciences supply chain. Mark is an expert on the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, and today we'll be talking about the requirements for the DSCSA and how blockchain technology could play an important role for the industry as it works to adopt these drug supply chain regulations. Mark, welcome to the show. Great, great. Thanks, Ray. Great to be here. Yeah, so I think to get started, it'd be great if you can just share a little bit more about your background and provide some context for the audience. Sure. Um, So I uh, live in Chicago. I uh, graduated from Ohio State, had a logistics degree, and went off and started working in operations, mostly, you know, doing uh, logistics, warehousing, and transportation, and did that for a few years, and then really got into IT because of uh, necessity. We had a lack of IT people and had some systems that went live and weren't supported. So I jumped in and that kind of started my IT career and uh, worked for a few years for IBM. And then um, about seven years ago, started 10 Count Consulting and um, have been fortunate to help the pharmaceutical industry try to figure out how to implement the serialization law. Yeah. So actually, can you tell us more about how you got from logistics to the pharma supply chain space? Sure. Um, So I have a little bit of background somewhat just through my family in medical. 
my mother was a registered nurse and sisters are nurses or uh, clinicians and I have a brother that's a brother-in-law that's a doctor and um, you know really just kind of uh, had the opportunity to go and work for some manufacturers you know I'd spent previous to that probably about 20 years in other industries you know automotive retail food mm-hmm. oil and gas and some others and what happened is the California pedigree law was passed and it, which eventually became DSCSA when it when the federal wow. government sort of reacted to that um, and that created a need for uh, you know consultants to help implement serialization and that's really how I got into it that's interesting I didn't know that there was a California law that came out first and that's what sparked the DSCSA. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there was a series of states, I think Florida, California, and a couple others that I'm forgetting. Um, and it, it really had a kind of a longer history. It was uh, There were some incidents back in the 90s um, where some uh, dangerous product had gotten into the legitimate supply chain. Um, so some cancer drugs and uh, some other products and uh, basically uh, after they went through the investigation they figured out that uh, you know a, a great way to sort of plug the holes in the system is uh, traceability into serialized product and that's hmm. that's why california do it and that really prompted the federal government to do something because obviously manufacturers didn't want to have to deal with different laws in every single state hmm. Right, that makes sense. It's you know, it's much more clear when you can deal with just one federal law versus fifty state laws. Uh, I wish we can apply that kind of reasoning to other issues that we deal with in this country, but uh, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about the origins of Ten Count Consulting. Uh, you started that you know over five years ago, I think now, and I, I saw your YouTube channel too, you have some videos about the DSCSA explaining them too. So um, kudos to you for making that. Uh, but can you just kind of describe why you started the company? Sure. Um, so we exist mostly to help manufacturers to dispensers meet the DSCSA compliance right now. Um, and we'll talk more about that law in a minute. But um, basically, that in our mind is the foundation for a digital transformation and, and that's the other piece of the work that we do is is helping companies figure out what are the things that we can do while we're complying with this law in order to kind of set a foundation for it and so that's really kind of enabled us to create two streams of work we've got you know one stream that is really making sure that the different roles that are called out in the law are you know following the compliance requirements as it unfolds um, and we've got another stream of our company where we're focusing on, you know, what are the things that will bring additional value beyond compliance so that, you know, while you're putting the serial number on a barcode, you know, barcode on a box um, and you're passing all this data that you're able to actually leverage that um, as you go forward. I see. So it's like two parts, as you mentioned. One is how to follow the laws very generally. And then two is how to create new value that didn't exist before using the data that you're generating. That's correct. And I think the interesting thing that we're finding is there really is an opportunity for, I think some people call it cooperation. So you've got a lot of entities that have always competed against each other. And the farm industry is, you know, really, really, that's a really great 
example of what's happening is, um, you know, there's been a lot of competition. There's a lot of, you know, lack of trust. And what they're finding is that with DSCSA and now with blockchain and other technologies, that there are huge benefits to start, you know, working together, especially around the theme of patient safety and evolving the industry um, to move forward. So, you know, we, we do a lot of workshops. Uh, we participate in a lot of the industry groups for clients. Um, and really it's all to try to help them align with, you know, their peers, you know, maybe other manufacturers if they're a manufacturer, um, and then also their trading partners, so the distributors and then the, ho the hospitals and pharmacies as well to, to kind of come to consensus on how to solve some pressing issues. So I do want to get into, you know, what the DSCSA is in more detail. But before we do that, I'm curious to know how COVID-19 has been impacting healthcare supply chains from your perspective. Uh, I would say pretty significantly, just like every, uh, probably every industry is going through, but especially in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, I think there's negatives and there's hopefully long-term positives. You know, some of the negatives are that scams are on the rise you know whenever there's demand for product especially you know it started with test kits and now it's it's moved into different drugs that people are hearing or working um, you're starting to see you know an increase of you know counterfeiting of those products um, you you find that things are quickly politicized i mean that happens a lot in the pharmaceutical industry um, i'd say that clients our clients have shifted their workforces obviously from you know, doing a lot of on-site work uh, and doing workshops and, and testing on sites to, you know, obviously more remote work. So projects have been disrupted. Um, although I think that, you know, things are coming around on that. I think just like other industries, people are adapting and a lot of things are happening virtually. Product protection or pay, I should say employee uh, protection is a big thing. Um, you know, companies are learning as they go how they're, how they're going to do that. Again, same in any industry. Um, I think on the positive side, though, mm -hmm. I think this is really highlighting, especially to healthcare providers and patients, that there is huge power in transparency. So, you know, you think about some of the things around COVID-19, it's probably important to know where some of these hot demand products are and what the supply is like and to have, you know, better visibility to what's authentic and to know what country of origin may be that a product's from, um, which isn't apparent on the package today. Um, but I think uh, with what's happening with COVID-19, you're, you're ex we're experiencing a lot of more interest in exploring these avenues. And some things are happening ra rapidly uh, where, where groups are taking advantage of, you know, what's, what's there in terms of uh, the need for better alignment. And, you know, here in Chicago, I heard I was on a, a webinar i think it was about a month ago with chicago hospitals and and they were talking about how you know they did all this work in the past years to start to align on data i think it was product and patient data and that it's paying huge dividends because now all of a sudden they can track you know what's going on at each of the hospitals well how many you know how many cases are they having you know how are they treating them um and and things like that so uh, it, it shows you that, you know, a little bit of foresight and stepping ahead can actually, you know, reach, you know, give you huge dividends in times like these. Right. No, I totally agree. And recent news too: the Department of 
health and human services is also using blockchain now to measure or to collect data on hospitalization rates all over the country. So that's pretty new thing. It's called HHS Protect. And I think, you know, my listeners could probably check that out if they're interested. Yeah, I think transparency is definitely important, not just in this industry, but in all industries as we kind of move forward. So let's get into the details of the DSCSA, the who, what, where, when, how. Sure. Um, I know even the name DSCSA is, is hard to remember, <laughs> but it, uh, it stands for the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. Um, it was passed in 2013. And as I mentioned earlier, it was a response to, you know, some states passing their laws and the need to have a, you know, a, a common solution for the U.S. And, you know, while the legitimate supply chain in the U.S. is among the safest in the world, um, there are there are still, you know, there still is a growing black market um, and there is, you know, things happening outside of that legitimate market. And, um, you know, comparing the U.S. to the rest of the world, a lot of other countries in the world have a lot of problems with counterfeit products. Um, in the U.S., it's not quite as rampant. Um, in fact, you know, it's not as rampant, but um, there have been cases and there were cases where product was getting into legitimate supply chain. And, um, you know, I mentioned earlier some of the cancer drugs, uh, you know, Avastin was a big one, uh, Lipitor, Adderall. Um, there were specific incidences that happened around those where illegitimate product was was finding its way into the legitimate pipeline through different avenues. I mean, however, these, you know, bad actors can get product in, whether it's, you know, um, setting up a secondary wholesaler or setting up a fake doctor's office, or uh, they're, they're pretty creative. There's been trucks that have been stolen. Um, so there, there are different ways that they can get into the supply chain. And I'll also add that this is still happening today. So the thing I mentioned earlier about you know, COVID-19 products, they're, the FDA just, uh, uh, or actually it was Customs and Border Protection seized 11,000 units of uh, chloroquine. And uh, the end of last year, December 2019, uh, there was a big bust in Miami of a multi-million dollar uh, secondary wholesaler that was distributing product across the U.S. that was illegitimate. So these things still happen. They happen, you know, relatively on a small scale compared to the whole network. But um, because of that, DSCSA was passed, and it's a law that unfolds over 10 years, so it goes until 2023, the, the, the requirements unfold. It started with manufacturers, so already in effect is that manufacturers have to put a serial number um, on their barcode, so a unique identifier, um, on each saleable unit. So this is typically the box that goes around the bottle or the box that goes around the vial. And it's now moving into distributors and dispensers. So, um, you know, that, that product has been filling the supply chain over the last couple of years. Um, I think the estimates I've heard recently are that it's in the 90% ranges of the product now being distributed actually has what's called a square 2D data matrix barcode that has the serial number in it. So, you know, next time you're at your pharmacy, if you look on their shelves and see boxes, look for a square barcode. Um, and so that's that there's a lot more of that product out there and eventually they'll get closer to uh, where it will be ultimately, which is probably going to be, you know, in the high 90%. There will be some exceptions and exemptions. Um, and now we're into the kind of the harder parts of the law, which is 
the distributors have some requirements that they need to do now around product that's being returned. And I think you had Suzanne Somerville on recently, um, who, who's done great stuff uh, there with Metal Ledger. Right. And they are working on uh, the, that, that verification of saleable returns, which is the requirement for distributors. And then dispensers have to start uh, ensuring that they're only receiving serialized product with some exceptions um, this year as well in November. And the hardest part of the law, sort of the end of the rainbow, if you want to call it that, is interoperability, which is uh, is required in 2023. And it's, I've been told, you know, in different sort of circles that it is intentionally ambiguous somewhat. It was meant, it was written in a way that was meant for the industry to figure out what is the best way to be interoperable. Um, so it essentially says that the, uh, the participants need to be a part of an interoperable system that facilitates the gathering of information uh, in the event of suspicious and dangerous products, um, and that they basically need to pass along uh, a history of ownership uh, with the product. So more to come because there's uh, some guidelines that the FDA still needs to release around what they expect. And there's some things going on in the industry, which we can uh, chat about maybe here in a bit. Yeah, I wonder, is there any sort of delays? I know you said 23rd, uh, 2023 is when it should happen, but because of COVID, have has the FDA announced any sort of delays to that or extensions to that requirement or not yet? Uh, not yet. There has been requests made. Uh, you'll, you know, there's been some news out there about the distributors and uh, well, and manufacturers and even the pharmacies have asked for uh, extensions through their trade groups, is my understanding. And um, I would, ex I mean, I would expect that the FDA will listen. They have listened to that in the past, um, and the fact that other previous requirements for manufacturers and distributors were delayed. Um, I would expect at least the dispenser, you know, pharmacy side would be delayed. Um, and then obviously with COVID going on, I, I would also expect they would have some understanding of that. Um, for the distributor requirements, um, I think the request is more to allow more time for things to stabilize as they're turned on. So I think there's an anticipation that, you know, the systems are actually going live already. There are, you know, some systems live, including Metal Ledger, as you heard. Um, and that more manufacturers are participating now um, and distributors are starting to do some piloting and, and, and trials of that verification system. So I think there will be a verification system, you know, fully running. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not all the participants um, will be active on it. And then if the FDA will issue any kind of guidance to allow them, you know, some flexibility in how they turn it on. Yeah, and you know, I was doing some research on this, and there was a group called the PDSA, and they're doing something very similar. It's a governance model for getting all these the manufacturers, distributors, dispensers together uh, to kind of share data. I I didn't think they're using blockchain or anything like that, but is that correct? Are they just using like traditional systems? And like, what's the difference between them and MediLedger, for example? Yeah, so uh, PDSA uh, actually started, a. there's another entity that was started that is called the Partnership for DSCSA Governance. Mm -hmm. So that was, I guess, kind of a spinoff, I would say, that uh, is now, a, it's a completely separate entity. 
Um, and that is essentially it's the uh, manufacturers, distributors, uh, dispensers, and then even third-party logistics providers and solution providers. It's a pretty open uh, organization to anybody that's a stakeholder. And they're doing a lot of work right now. Definitely check out uh, pdg.org, I believe is the website. They're doing a lot of work right now. They have six work groups um, that are essentially trying to figure out what does interoperability look like? You know, what's the architecture of it? What data needs to move for it? Um, what kind of guidelines are needed? I don't expect that they're going to get to the point where they select a solution. I don't think that's really kind of their marching orders, I think, or their alignment, I guess. It's more creating the framework so that the stakeholders can go out and start working with solution providers to decide what the actual solutions are. So hopefully what it'll do is for like MetaLedger, you know, IBM has a blockchain. Um, there's another one called Ledger Domain. Um, I think uh, for those kind of groups and then also the solution providers that are more focused on, you know, serial number management. There's a lot of providers out there that do that. It will provide them the, the ability to be able to figure out how to uh, interoperate um, at places where they need to. So let's talk about some of the challenges uh, the supply chain industry deals with. So, you know, you mentioned things like fraud is a big issue uh, and counterfeits, but we also have things like temperature monitoring during transport and track and tracing, um, just the data entry itself and how that's entered into a computer system. Like, is there a human involved? Is it machine uh, input? So I think, what do you think are the most challenging issues? Um, I mean, I, th I think all those that you mentioned, uh, distributed ledger has a place on most of the pressing problems that you see in healthcare. Um, what's really required to make it work is, you know, things like entities coming together and figuring out the governance and sort of aligning on what does plat what the platform is and how it's going to work to get, you know, interoperate. Um, I think in our minds, you know, we've been working now with blockchain since I guess about 2017. We started with one of the Metal Ledger projects with a client, and uh, we feel like it has potential. Um, it's not a new technology, obviously, as everybody always says. It's um, it's got lots of flexibility, um, which also leads to a lot of confusion too. Um, you know, I think. I've heard so many empirical statements about blockchain. It's not even funny, and they're always somewhat conflicting with each other and when you get into the details of it it's like they're actually all kind of true <laughs> and so i think that's the 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 interesting thing the you know the but, the but also the challenging thing is that um you need to start to align on like what are those um things that you want to do in order to sort of have you know central agreement on uh, on the framework that you're going to do. And, um, you know, temperature monitoring is a big one, I think, because if you think about uh, a growing percentage of product requires temperature control in pharmaceuticals, um, I don't have exact numbers, but um, it's, it's definitely got to be getting close to half of at least the dollar amount, if not more, of the product out there. And Typically what happens is that a lot of those are managed in sort of banks of time. So a manufacturer will decide, okay, I'm going to allow, you know, my part of the supply chain to have two hours. I'm going to allow the distributor to have two hours and I'm going to allow 
the hospital system to have two hours out of cooler, you know, or, you know, uh, excursion time. And what that ends up doing is uh, I can, I don't have historically visibility of serial numbers. So I have to sort of treat every package that I'm taking out, you know, as a sort of a, an event thing. And within my window, I'll say, okay, it did not exceed that two hours, but I may have only used five minutes of it. The next in line doesn't know that because I don't pass that data today. So they are back to, okay, I can only have it two hours. So when you add that all up, you know, you could be going from a hospital thinking they only have two hours of time to actually having closer to six hours um, when they're able to start seeing at a serial level, you know, how long has this been out of the cooler and how long do I have before it's still, you know, um, before it reaches its point where it starts to diminish and maybe the it's not as effective as it needs to be. So I think temperature is definitely a big one. Uh, recalls is another one where a lot of hospital systems uh, they call it the big Easter egg hunt that they have to do sometimes whenever products recalled or expires. Um, they really don't have, I'm saying just kind of generally, especially with small pharmacies and small hospitals, you know, a way to say, hey, this product is on this shelf. It's usually kind of managed at either a product or maybe a lot level. Um, and sometimes that makes it difficult to figure out where is this product and I have to go look at all the cabinets and all that stuff. So I think a lot of possibilities. Right. And you know, theoretically, or, or at least conceptually, the idea would be for a person to track the entire provenance of that product using that 2D barcode. You can track how long it was with each um, supply chain point automatically, like all technically or possibly a public blockchain, or even if it is a private blockchain, at least the stakeholders that need to know that information can get access to it. Um, Definitely. That's the goal. I think that's that's a great goal to have, and I think you know we're getting there slowly. Yeah, I mean, I share that vision. I think um, you know, in, in pharmaceuticals, there is a lot more challenges. I think than other industries, especially you know, um, you know, I guess we'll talk maybe about blockchain more in a little bit. But um, there's just so many controls and so much history, uh, and and you know, so many hurdles that have to be crossed. But it's one step at a time, and I think the value is going to is going to make it happen. I mean, you know, there's there's sufficient value across the board um, for uh, for all this stuff to happen. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So, what steps should pharmacies and pharma companies be considering now? What should they be thinking about? You know, I would start with uh, educating yourself. I think, um, especially in the probably pharmacy dispenser side, because it's kind of newer to them, um, because their requirements have come later, um, you know, understand what is what the law is and what the requirements of it are, you can go to the FDA has a website for DSCSA. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, we have a video series that we did. We did that specifically for small pharmacists. Um, we visited some small pharmacists um, in Chicago and actually in Ohio. Uh, my brother who works for the company uh, is, is there. And what we heard is, uh, they really didn't even understand what the law was and you know what 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 it what it was supposed to do so uh, we did this you know little youtube series to just try to explain the concepts and uh, hopefully give them some tools to be able to understand it better so i would say start with that get involved in some of the the groups that are out there so um, there's trade groups obviously we talked about pdg is a good one there's a global standards group gs1 
uh, that's doing a lot of work that's setting the that's writing the technical standards for data exchanges and things like that um, and we offer uh, you know free initial discussions and we do assessments you know definitely find find uh, as independent uh, resources as you can because I think you'll get a lot of good information from solution providers and blockchain developers and uh, you know people that are developing tools but you have to take those things with a grain of salt and you know and also talk to your peers you'll find uh, for this particular topic it's around patient safety so there is a lot of openness uh, for peers to talk to be able to say okay you know how are you meeting this compliance and be able to look at each other and say okay well I learned this you learned that and let's you know let's let's figure out a better way to do this together so that's that's the great thing I think about DSCSA is um, in every sector I've seen this happening that uh, groups that really have historically competed heavy um, are starting to work together on this and see it as a an avenue for that yeah that's a really interesting phenomenon happening um, you know 10 years ago even even five years ago probably wouldn't have been much of a consideration that being said how do you feel like blockchain adoption is going and awareness in general in the healthcare space in the United States um, I feel like it's moving forward, um, obviously not as fast as I think some of us would hope. Um, you know, I was, I guess early on, I, you know, I kind of read the stories of how Ripple kind of came into the financial sector and I thought something like that would, would take off in the, in the pharmaceutical sector. And um, I think the reality is that uh, it requires more understanding and more piloting and more value explanation i think before you're going to get a lot of adoption but you know i think the good news is that most people are aware of it now you know i'd say getting close to a majority of people are starting to understand at least what it conceptually could do mm -hmm. um, but i feel like few really have a strong position yet i think a lot of people think it's probably going to be at least a part of the industry but it's not real clear what part and you know and, and how big of a part um, there's some first movers out there. Obviously, Metalledger is a great example. They did their lookup directory for verification. They're working on their chargebacks and rebates, which should be interesting. Um, IBM is another one that's doing done a lot of work. They uh, have had one called the Pharma Utility Network that was based on food trust um, that they've done with Merck and Walmart as a pilot, and I think they're uh, they're stepping that up a bit. Um, and then there's Ledger Domain, um, which is a, a great example of, of blockchain on the healthcare provider side. They did a pilot with uh, UCLA Health um, that was really great. You can look up uh, Bruin Chain, it's called, and uh, learn about how they are used. They piloted it in the, uh, in the pharmacy at the hospitals. Uh, really innovative stuff. And uh, it They've, they, in their paper, they announced that it has some potentials to save some st significant money. Interesting. You said Bruin Chain, right? B -R -U -I -N. Yeah, Bruin Chain. So I guess like their, yeah, like their mascot. Their yeah. mascot. Got it. Thanks for sharing that. Interesting. Yep. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. Normally for my news corners, I usually like to focus on new market developments like acquisitions or major industry partnerships. But on August 14th, 2020, Federal News Network announced that the Chief Information Officer of the Department of Health and Human Services 
was resigning from the organization. Considering the HHS employs 80,000 people, I felt like this was an important leadership change that may result in some new strategy changes. Of course, it's difficult for us to know all the circumstances of the situation, especially since the HHS is a cabinet-level executive branch department of the federal government. Jose Arrieta, who's been a champion of blockchain in healthcare for years now, reportedly had positive things to say about the HHS Protect initiative, which I featured in my last episode's News Corner. The program aims to increase hospitalization data transparency using their platform called the Coronavirus Data Hub. I thank Jose for relentlessly pushing the needle on technology innovation at the HHS. He plans to make sure there is a smooth leadership transition. Jose also reportedly said that he wants to spend more time with his young kids to help with school online after his departure. I met Jose once in a pre-conference event in Nashville at the 2018 Distributed Health Conference. He was really friendly to me and the next day he was super sharp in his presentation on his team's blockchain procurement solution. I wish the best for Jose going forward and hope he plans to stay in the industry. We can use a person with his experience and passion to keep educating people on the value of decentralized ledger technology in healthcare. I invite him to come talk with me on Health Unchained. Hit me up, Jose. I'll be watching closely for any future HHS announcements. You can find a link to the report in the show notes. And now back to the show with Mark Karhoff, CEO of 10Count Consulting. What are some of the major barriers to adoption for blockchain that you're seeing? And like, what are, you mentioned health executives are, you know, claiming things about blockchain. Some not true, some may be true, but what do you think are the major barriers here? Yeah, I guess that's when I, I wasn't thinking of right off the top of my head, but misinformation, I guess, is definitely one. Um, and, and looking at, you know, what examples are out there of value and what what's actually being implemented, um, because I think that's where the real action is going to start happening. Um, you know, I, I wrote an article called The uh, Five Barriers to Adoption of Blockchain in the Healthcare Sector, and um, it was really, in my mind at the time, I think it was about a year ago, so it's, it's fairly really up to date. It was, you know, all the regulatory things, uh, the competition, so historical competition, you know, even though there are a lot more cooperation going on, uh, there is a lot more cooperation rather going on. Um, there still is uh, secrets, you know, trade secrets, uh, you know, business data that companies have to think about protecting. Um, so that, that that's, that's a challenge. I would say in the healthcare sector, you know, this is compared to the other industries that I've worked in. The supply chain has historically had a limited focus on continuous improvement. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, I think the time is right for it. But historically, when you look at the health, you know, healthcare supply chain, it's sort of segmented into different things. You have, you know, your manufacturers focused on making breakthrough drugs, you know, distributors in the middle who are working on thin margins, almost like a grocery industry where things are, you know, really kind of tight. There is a lot of, you know, I guess, cost cutting and things that they're doing to try to run lean. But then when you get to the healthcare provider side, the focus is the patient, right? Which it should be. Um, There's a lot of not-for-profits. There's a lot of focus on what are we doing to advance, you know, medicine and things like that. Um, But when you look across the whole supply chain, there has historically been a limited amount of 
sort of continuous improvement in the industry. So that is just something that needs to really start happening more. So it, it really has been a barrier. Lack of trust is another one, you know, because of all the issues that are going out there around the opioid crisis, drug pricing, diluted medicine, you know, you, the list goes kind of on and on. That's created this environment of a lack of trust. And then finally, what the healthcare tends to do, the healthcare supply chain tends to do is a lot of times it's easier to add complexity to solve a problem rather than to really try to figure out how do we make this more efficient and maybe thin it down. And, you know, there's lots of examples out there, um, but I think the way that the pay payment system works is a perfect example. Um, you know, you have chargebacks, rebates, um, clawbacks. I mean, there's just so many terms that are all about moving dollars back and forth. And essentially it all kind of comes from um, there really was not great alignment as you know, medical programs and other things have unfolded and, you know, pharmacy benefit managers have come into the picture and all these other entities. Um, there's really not been a great design on how does this stuff all kind of interact together. And so there's a tendency to just throw more complexity at the problem and you end up creating a lot of waste essentially. So if you were able to, you know, wave a magic wand and remove some of those bottlenecks in the industry or like let's say even a stakeholder completely let's say we removed dispensers and replaced them with vending machines or something like that um uh, maybe that is oversimplified but is there any sort of trends you're seeing where certain stakeholders are becoming less valuable like their specific operation in the supply chain is not as valuable as it used to be does that make sense yeah, um, it's an interesting question. I think it's a hard, it is a hard one to answer because there are so many different variables and different types of drugs and things like that. I think manufacturers, distributors, and dispensers all still play a critical role and will, <clears throat> excuse me, will in my mind for you know, the foreseeable future. Um, I do think there are new pathways that are developing. Um, you know, you had Amazon come into the market, they bought PillPack. Um, they're doing things, I think, and if I had to guess, if I'm Amazon, I'm probably thinking about how do I disrupt and with this industry, one way to do it is to create more direct paths. So I'm assuming they're probably talking to manufacturers and looking at ways that they can, you know, create distribution models there. If you think about it, most hospitals are already getting daily deliveries from Amazon for office supplies. You know, why not have another delivery go to a different receiving dock? You know, maybe it's controlled more, temperature controlled, those kind of things. Um, that's probably one area, distribution, where I think disruption from players like Amazon, Google, others are starting to come into the mix. And uh, I think you're going to see evolutionary changes that are going to happen in certain segments. Um, but then you're also going to see, um, I think, you know, sort of smaller evolutions that will happen in that sort of central sector that is probably going to be there for for a while gotcha that's interesting it's a good point about amazon uh cutting out sort of the middlemen in there um and you know obviously very consumer friendly so you can deliver straight to the to the patient as well or hospital yeah i think i think uh you know just to add to that i you know i, I will say it is extremely complicated to distribute prescription drugs. There are state different laws in every state that are constantly changing. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of regulation things you got to, you have to make sure you're able to meet. Um, so it, it will be more challenge, challenging for them to disrupt than in other sectors. But, you know, a company like Amazon has, you know, kind of endless resources and <laughs> I could see them putting that effort in. So I think in my mind, I hope what happens is I hope it's sufficient pressure if that's what's needed. Uh, to sort of push some of the industry uh, to move forward on more transparency um, and more efficiency. Um, that's ultimately what I hope happens. Um, if not, you know, I think the there could be some sectors that are ripe for uh, some more disruptive things to happen. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that transparency between data, because like you said, some companies still want to maintain some of their trade secrets in the pharma space well, really in any industry, but specifically in pharma, how do you see them managing data transparency and then their privacy, the company's secrets or uh, data privacy? Business data. Yep. Business data. Yeah, this is definitely one of the hardest uh, parts, I think. There's many different approaches for how data can be managed. I think going back to that whole thing about blockchain being flexible, um, I mean, that's this is where, where it can pay off because you can, you know, we can sort of thread this needle, I think. There's, you know, first of all, there's private, you know, private blockchains, there's enterprise blockchains, public blockchains, you know, probably going more towards the enterprise. Uh, you know, there's discussions around what data is in the distributed ledger. So, you know, there are some providers out there that are looking at kind of putting all the data there. And there are some that are looking at putting maybe centralize maybe like product serial number and status and there are some that are just looking at putting consensus information like they're going to let the nodes and the different owners of those nodes so maybe a manufacturer keep their own data but yet use a central ledger to start doing consensus as they do different business transactions um, and that's what i think suzanne kind of talked about um, and metal ledger has been pretty open that that's their approach um, so I think that's sort of the range of spectrum you have and how you manage it. Um, also how you govern it is important because, um, you know, if it's run by a software company, it's one thing. If it's run by, you know, the end some industry participants or customers at that, maybe a customer group, it's another thing. If it's, it could even be a public utility. I've heard a lot of uh, talk around that, that, you know, maybe this is where, you know, the government or some kind of not-for-profit can have a more active role around uh, governance of uh, some type of system or groups of solutions or something. Um, but uh, I think at the end of the day, um, there's uh, there, there's room for the system to operate and flexibility to, to, to address those things. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I think um, it'll take time, absolutely. And a lot of these conversations are happening now. So um, thank you for, you know, taking part in this. Um, yeah, you know, um, mm -hmm. one other thing I, I guess to mention there is I definitely think it is best that we do this before the interoperability requirements come out. So the FDA right now is probably, in my mind, organizing how they're going to draft the guidelines that, they said they're going to be releasing potentially next year or the following year, I think is what I've heard. Um, so I think it's in, it's important that the industry comes together now, try to figure out what can we 
advise the FDA and PDG has been in communication with the FDA. They've been a part of a lot of the PDG meetings and discussions um, to understand what the industry wants and how to do this versus historically the way that some programs have done like 340B is a good example. Um, 340B was this program to basically help provide medicine for people that needed it. Um, you know, to, to be able to afford it. And there was not a lot of agreements made ahead of time. And there was a lack of an ability to sort of align on standards before it all rolled out. And they ended up trying to, you know, make some historic messaging work. And it's largely uh, handled through exception, a lot of exceptions today. Um, a lot of business groups have, you know, staffs of people that do nothing but try to make sure coding and uh, rebates and chargebacks and things are done correctly, as you heard from, uh, you know, Metal Ledger. So this it's a it, it's 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 kind of striking if you take a step back and think about, you know, Metal Ledger for example is trying to solve a problem that was solved that was created by the industry not being aligned previously, and here we have DSCSA coming and a chance to align before it comes out. Um, you know, hopefully we do that before rather than you know having to have a similar thing happen later. Yeah, no, I think you're right. We need a like a conscious effort to make this all align for all the stakeholders from the get go. Otherwise, we're, you know, going to run into more trouble in the future. We're just going to make it even more complex and probably try to handle it, make some other shortcuts and cause other problems. So I hear you there. That's a good point. You did share a few different examples of projects going on now, like MetaLedger, like the IBM um, projects. Any other industry projects? pilots or projects you wanted to share? Um, yeah, Brewing Chain was the other one. Um, Chain. And then, uh, yep. Chain. I think I would also mention uh, some of the things going on in food. So FDA has announced uh, their initiative for smarter food. Um, while it's not really directly applicable to prescription drugs, it is managed by the same entity. Um, and I think when you read what they've released and what they're planning to try to do around, you know, tracking food from the source to, uh, you know, really the, you know, the end consumer, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of, I think, opportunities to, to learn from what they're doing. Um, has a lot of the same problems. It, you know, it has some regulation, maybe not as heavy. Uh, has a lot of the same issues around huge number of providers so a lot of food manufacturers a lot of manufacturers and then dispensers in the pharmaceutical you have obviously in the food sector a lot of grocers a lot of restaurants a lot of you know so they're dealing with the same kind of problems around how do you get all these different technically capable you know levels of companies together um, so i would keep an eye on what what the fda is doing there and i'm i'm hopeful that some of that will you know come over to the FDA around how they manage uh, DSCSA. Well, those are really my questions around DSCSA and, and like the blockchain stuff. I do have some other personal questions too, kind of just to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm curious, what do you believe in now that most people would disagree with? You know, I think probably the fact that we have more in common than not in common. Um, and that's, true in what I'm doing in the pharmaceutical industry and it's true in society today. And, you know, what I feel like I'm learning is that proximity is the key, right? So 
anything we can do to be more in proximity with people on the other side, you know, mm. whether that's, you know, people in an industry that are on another side or it's people, you know, in another race or another, you know, socioeconomic background. Um, it's really been powerful for me and I've done it, you know, for me, it's, it's been useful to be a part of uh, not-for-profits and faith groups. Um, I work with one group called Year Up that uh, is, uh, we meant, uh, it's basically a job skills program for 18 to 24 year olds uh, inner city and they're across the US. Um, and I've, I've been a mentor and volunteer there for years. And um, it's funny when I joined this not-for-profit, I thought, you know, it'd be nice to be able to help some people and help, you know, help mentor them and things. And quite the opposite has actually happened. They have actually, you know, taught and showed me so much that um, I can't even begin to say. So um, that would be my advice to everybody is, uh, you know, we have more in common and find ways to, to get closer to other people. Well said. I couldn't agree more. That is, especially during 2020, I feel like this has become a huge topic of conversation. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, what is your favorite book? Um, well, I guess I'll give you two. Uh, one, because I've been so enthralled in it lately, is um, in the pharmaceutical industry, Dangerous Doses, written by Catherine Eban, um, is, a, is a great sort of history of why DSCSA was passed. And it's important, I think, for everybody in the industry to take a look at it because um, it really helps you see what we need to watch out for around what some of the counterfeiters have been doing historically. Um, the other one is Tattoos on the Heart. Um, it's written by this guy, Father Greg Boyle. He runs this thing called Homeboy Industry. It's the largest gang rehabilitation uh, organization in the world in LA. Um, and it's, it's just a great story. Um, he's a great storyteller about how uh, he started the Homeboy Industries and uh, the things he learned from the people in the program. Interesting. Check those out. How are you handling with uh, all the physical distancing measures now? Are you at home? Are you able to go out? Yeah, I mean, I'm staying healthy and, you know, being responsible. Our families, my family's all healthy. Business has been okay. You know, we're, we're managing, which is great. Um, you know, I think uh, I've heard some people say that, you know, if you come out of all this and you haven't evolved somehow, that you're not doing something right. So, um, you know, for me, it's learning to be a better listener. Um, um, you know, I, I mentioned faith groups. I'm a part of this thing called Chicago Fellowship. It's a bunch of businessmen that get to get, get together and hear speakers once a week. And um, it's really opened my eyes uh, to uh, some of the things that are going on in some other parts of the city, um, you know, you know, me as a, you know, a white person living in a certain part of the city does not have the same experience as, you know, an African-American or a Latino person in another part of the city. And what I found out in these groups and from hearing them share what's going on is uh, their experiences have been a lot different. Um, you know, they, they are struggling with, you know, getting protective equipment. Obviously, a lot of them have to work. They're essential workers. Um, you know, and getting, you know, grocery stores sometimes are not in their neighborhood. So, um, you know, I guess, uh, for me, it's, this has been relatively easy compared to what some people are going through it, but it's just learning what they're going through, I think, and keeping an eye on how we can help, I think is, is the most important thing. Yeah. I really appreciate your answer there. I think a lot of people might not take the effort to go and speak to those, to other people in different communities. They 
feel comfortable in their bubble. So the fact that you are able to empathize with those communities and really listening to them that, you know, thank you for doing that. I think that is important. I think everyone should be kind of putting in that effort, um, not just for themselves, but for their communities overall. So really yeah, nice. no problem. Yeah. Look for the, look for the groups out there. I mean, I said faith groups. I mean, I know there's a lot of not-for-profits um, and, and, you know, most, a lot of different faiths out there have, have similar things kind of going on. Um, but, uh, you know, look for those opportunities. It, I definitely couldn't have done it myself. I, I don't have those kind of connections. So fair enough. If you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it implanted? <laughs> I don't know. This is a, this one's kind of disturbing. I think, uh, man, um, you know, I probably would go back to the, uh, we could, but should we? And, yeah. uh, I love technology advancement advancements and just like blockchain um i think we really need to take the time to explore what the benefits are and what the risks are and take the steps together um you know because if we if we think about it we really kind of have something like that already we have fingerprints we have retinal you know we have different things we can use to identify ourselves so i'm probably in that uh you know take our time approach on that one But you make a good point, actually. Like, do we even need a microchip at this point? Our biometric information can serve as our key to enter into certain information um, or access information. So that makes sense. Yeah, and we all carry around smartphones, and we all, you know, <laughs> right. So but there's, the, there's different well, ways to identify. Sure, but if you had a microchip, I wouldn't need to carry around a smartphone, right? That's like. <laughs> but I got a smartphone that has a fingerprint reader, you know. <laughs> yeah, and you can't really watch a video on a microchip so there is a benefit to having that screen so <laughs> it's all good points um mark i really appreciated this conversation man I, I think this is really cool i learned a lot about dscsa hopefully my audience does too is there anything else you wanted to share before we um end the call here i mean i guess i would just say i know uh there there are a lot of peers and other people that i work with in the industry that will you know be in the camp of a lot of this stuff is too complicated to do and it can't be done. And, you know, I understand that perspective, but I think the time to change is now, if not now, when, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, we have the technology evolution that's happened. We have a compliance reason to do this. Now we have a pandemic reason to do it. Um, I mean, I don't know you have a disruptive reason to do it. Amazon's coming. I mean, there are so many different reasons that it's time to wake up and it's time to, you know, to say we, we need to do this and we can do it together and find a way to you know take that first step um, because i think if we focus on the areas that are shared value first um, we'll find that this is a lot easier and we can have those tough conversations on there's going to be a lot of areas that are going to take a lot of debate and back and forth and you know maybe some hurt feelings but um, let's let's focus on the similarities and where we can create value first and then create the flexibility to solve those other things uh, secondary well put well thank you so much great to be here thanks ray hey all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to health unchained on stitcher soundcloud Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.